Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The Republican Party is in turmoil. I think it's safe to call that a fact, not a matter of opinion. And a key reason is that it lacks a figurehead. Trump is the closest thing the GOP has to a leader, but his limitations are clear to see, and he has the ability to divide the party just as much as he does to unite it. Beyond Trump, there are plenty of people vying for the top spot, with the race to be the GOP's presidential candidate underway. And it's a month until the first Republican National Committee sanctioned debate in this contest. Who's in, who's out, and does any of it matter? I'm Jacob Jarvis, and here to discuss this with me for the Bunker USA is Steve Shepard, Politico's senior campaign and elections editor and chief polling analyst. Hello, Stephen. Welcome to the Bunker. Thank you for having me. Stephen, before we get into specific people, this is clearly a crowded field, to use a cliche. Just how big a stage are they actually going to need for this debate? Are we talking double figures at the moment? You know, I don't think so. I think what we're going to end up seeing on the night of August 23rd in in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is a stage that's probably more than half a dozen, uh, but fewer than 10. You know, there are criteria in order to qualify for this debate that candidates need to meet in terms of registering enough support in public polling and also earning certain number of donations to their campaigns that I think is going to trip up some of the candidates at the lower end of the field. And then you mentioned in your intro about Donald Trump and and, and the figure he cuts here. He has been to call to say non-committal about attending the debate, I think understates <laughs> it. He has publicly said that he doesn't think he's going to attend the debate. That by give, essentially acknowledging that giving his opponents oxygen to debate him on the same stage legitimizes them and opens him up to attacks that, uh, as the front runner in this race, he'd rather avoid. And so, you know, if he's not there and the criteria trip up some of the lower level candidates, I think. Six, seven, eight, or nine is probably the most likely number, somewhere in that range. Does he have somewhat a point there, though, that he is just such a known entity that almost what is the point in debating him? Because even if people trip him up, how much can you trip this man up? He has been tripped up over and over and over again, and his support stays around the same sort of level, doesn't it? Right. Eight years ago, the first debate of the 2016 race was similarly in the summer of 2015. I was also on Fox News Channel, uh, which is a conservative uh, Republican leaning, uh, especially in in its primetime opinion lineup network here in the United States. And the first question of the first debate was about 
was to Donald Trump about his history of misogynistic comments. So we've been here before with trying to trip up Donald Trump on the debate stage. Republican primary voters in 2016 were pretty divided, but they ultimately decided to go with Donald Trump. And since then, through everything of Trump's four years as president and now, you know, two and a half years out of the White House, we've seen uh, that Republican primary voters aren't necessarily turning on him. So I'm, I'm not sure there's as much to lose as, as he thinks there is. But this is a real pivot point in this race because, you know, what, his decision of whether to join this this debate stage or not really could be one of the few important moments between now and January 15th of next year, which is when voters will start in, in the state of Iowa, will start the process of picking the Republican nominee by actually casting ballots. There are very few things that really could shake things up. This first debate is, is one of those moments, and Donald Trump's decision whether or not to participate is crucial to it. If Donald Trump doesn't take part, does it make Ron DeSantis as the the second in the race at the moment more vulnerable? Because if Donald Trump was there, people would maybe be going for the king, as it were. Sure. And when he isn't there, people are then going to go, well, Ron DeSantis is, and he's the closest thing we've got to a front runner now. So they're going to all sort of zone in on him. Is it a tricky position that he finds himself in? Yes, though I think that's also an opportunity to look and, and the, the signal of, of taking those arrows on the stage will also tell Republican primary voters that there's a reason why I'm the front runner, at least as far as you can see here in front of you on your television set. So I think there's, it's a risk for sure for Ron DeSantis if he can't handle the attacks from the other candidates who are looking to bring him down and elevate themselves into the, the role of sort of the chief Trump opponent as we get closer and closer to, to when voting is going to happen here. At the same time, I, I think it's an opportunity for Ron DeSantis perhaps to demonstrate why he is currently the, the second choice in this race and, and cement that role so that uh, he can actually take the fight to Donald Trump as we get, again, closer to the balloting uh, that'll happen early next year. How do you feel about, uh, not personally, but in terms of his opportunity, his prospects, how do you feel about Ron DeSantis at the moment? It felt to me like it was kind of him or Trump for a while. And now he doesn't seem to have quite the momentum he once did. I think voters, especially coming out of last year's midterm elections here in the United States, where Republicans, you know, it's typical in, in, in this country for the party that's out of the White House to do very well in the midterm elections. And Republicans did pretty well in last year's midterm elections, the first with, with President Joe Biden in the White House. However, they didn't do as well as I think they thought they would. And as, as a lot of folks did, especially given that Joe Biden's approval ratings are pretty low. Uh, and a lot of folks blame that on Donald Trump and, and the figure he still cuts as the, the nominal leader of the Republican Party, obviously a very polarizing figure in this country, brought a lot of the litigation over the 2020 presidential election to the fore in 2022, and a lot of voters wanted to move past it. So blaming that maybe poorer than expected performance on Donald Trump in November, voters liked the way Ron DeSantis was governing Florida, and he really became a co-frontrunner in this race when it when it kicked off earlier this year. I, I do think, though, since he's jumped in, gotten some scrutiny, he's starting to do a few more media appearances. He did a, a, a CNN interview earlier this week, which is basically his first interview with the mainstream press outlet since he joined the race about two months ago. It has been a rough start to the campaign for Ron DeSantis, but the next 
month or so leading into that and, and then in that debate will be an opportunity for him to remind Republican primary voters why they were so interested in him when this race kicked off and the job he's done in Florida advancing a lot of the issues that Republican primary voters tend to care about. Now, I remember he was on the front of the New York Post after those uh, elections, and he was a bit of a, a poster boy, it felt like to me, for the, the success of Republicans that there was. Is he almost a little bit too obvious, a poster boy? And then when you start to scrutinise him, you go, OK, like you're not actually just young Trump, which you sort of felt like. You maybe are are limited in certain ways, which on face value weren't obvious. Yeah, I think there's there's emerging questions about his likability, about his ability to withstand some criticism. You know, he, he in Florida with the local press has been generally very combative. Yeah. He's really spiky, isn't he? He really goes back when you're when you're hard on him. Yes, every you know, it, it's it's the same response to sort of every level of criticism from the most minor to the most significant. And, you know, I think voters in a lot of the places that are going to sort of decide the early trajectory of this race. We have sort of a very parochial system here in the United States where the process starts in some small states like Iowa, New Hampshire, where a lot of the Republican primary voters expect to actually meet the candidates and watch them engage with other voters, some of whom may challenge them. They may hold positions that those voters disagree with, even if they're considering supporting them in the the nominating contest. And they want to see how they react to that. And if you know, Ron DeSantis has been a little prickly in the past. And, and I think, you know, if he's on a stage where whether it's Donald Trump coming for him or whether it's candidates in the next tier, because Donald Trump isn't there, people like Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and Mike Pence coming for him, I think he's going to have to show an ability to to punch back, but also do it in a likable way. And, and thus far, I think that's been missing a little bit from the first couple of months of his campaign. Beyond Trump and DeSantis, what characters are you looking out for that could pack out that kind of six to nine people you mentioned? Yeah, I do. Th- I mentioned Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, uh, both of whom are from the uh, state of South Carolina, which will be the third or fourth state in the voting order and play a very pivotal role in this race. I think it's a huge opportunity for them. Mike Pence, Trump's former vice president, is trying to make it on the debate stage. He will easily meet the polling threshold, but he's struggling to get the 40,000 people, citizens, to donate to his campaign in order to qualify. Uh, He's someone uh, establishment bigger donors like, but the small online donors who generally make up those numbers, he's struggling to get those people to back him on the stage. Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey, has emerged as sort of Trump's leading critic in this race. Very, very harsh on both Trump's performance as president and particularly around the 2020 election and and the aftermath of the 2020 election leading into the January 6th riot at the Capitol has gone the farthest to call Donald Trump unfit in this race. A Trump-Christie showdown on the the debate stage, two people from the general New York metropolitan area, kind of loud, (laughs) kind of rough and tumble. That could be really fun if, again, if, if Trump shows up. Christie will almost certainly be there if he agrees to one of the Republican National Committee's other requirements, which is you have to agree to support the eventual nominee. He has said that he will sign whatever, but he would never vote for Trump if the RNC lets him on the stage based on uh, uh, those sorts of public statements. I think that would be a really interesting dynamic to watch. 
is Chris Christie going to be a sort of a, a grenade in all of this, really? Is that going to be his tactic in the, the early stages rather than maybe platforming himself? Is he is the kind of guy that's going to go in and say, I'm going to knock the legs out of everyone else and sort of cling on and then I'll sell myself down the line? Would that be his tactic there? I, I do think it's very difficult to imagine someone who's as critical as Donald Trump earning a majority or near majority in the Republican primary based on what Republican primary voters say that they are looking for. However, there is a sizable segment that uh, does want to turn the page from Donald Trump, whether that's 20%, 30%, 40%, and becoming the leading candidate of that lane would give whoever that person is, whether that's Chris Christie or Mike Pence, uh, or perhaps someone like Nikki Haley down the line, would give them an awful lot of potential you know, power to move the race in another direction, especially if it ends up being Donald Trump and one other candidate by the time we get to February and March of next year, as the race moves beyond those small early states and into the rest of the country. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Going back to Mike Pence, I mean, I've got so many questions about Mike Pence, but I mean, I'd like to get just a, a sort of sense check from you on on the vibe of Mike Pence, of it, whether it feels remotely realistic. I remember I was working at uh, Newsweek around the time of January 6th, and his team were really, he went super quiet, and they were really coy on whether he would return to politics, even though it felt very obvious all around that he would clearly be someone who would like to be, to try and be president one day. But he just, to me, feels he's quite boring and he's surely tainted from the the Trump affair. But has enough time passed for that to, to not be the case? And is he going to actually perhaps be emboldened by the, the criticism of people like Trump? Because, they, you know, they can use misinformation against him and it actually maybe boosts his messages. It makes him more visible because he's their their key target. I mean, it's clear that for a lot of these candidates like Chris Christie and Mike Pence, the goal does not as much appear to be the Republican presidential nominee in November 2024 when when American voters decide uh, whether they want to reelect Joe Biden or install a Republican back in the White House, uh, as was the case before Biden. It's more about uh, a battle over the soul of the Republican Party and, and what it should be. And uh, Mike Pence has a very clear idea of what that is. And it does involve a fair number of the policies of the Trump administration, when which Mike Pence as vice president was, you know, uh, intimately involved with. But it also means repudiating what happened on January 6th. It means repudiating some of Donald Trump's personal conduct, both around that the 2020 election and that event, but also, you know, around some of the other controversies uh, that we see continue to unfold, especially in the legal arena, even today. And and so he's there to make that argument. I think that the danger for him is, you know, we're, we're talking right now as another 
potential criminal indictment looms on, on federal charges related to January 6th, related to an effort to essentially steal the 2020 election from the rightful winner, Joe Biden. And, you know, Mike Pence is very clear about, uh, as vice president, that he did not have the power to do what, what Donald Trump, the president at yeah. the time, wanted him to do on that day. And the more we continue to talk about January 6th, if uh, if indeed Donald Trump is is criminally charged with a long list of offenses, as, as appears uh, may, may be the case very soon, uh, I think it risks Mike Pence uh, talking about that more than talking about the the future direction of the party, which is which is I think why he ran, not again to be necessarily the nominee, but to push the party uh, in the direction that he thinks it should go, uh, which is a direction that involves leaving Donald Trump behind. Is there a weird conundrum here for the GOP, though, that it's almost a kind of case of it's not what you said, it's how you said it when it comes to Donald Trump? Because actually, in terms of his his policy platform, whatever that may may consist of, you know, you can there's question marks over how clear that is. But that actually doesn't seem massively unpopular with the base. Or it's just more the case of how he went about everything he went about was kind of totally wrong. But actually what he was trying to do feels in line with a lot of Republicans. Even all these people we mentioned on a policy level seem, well, they could be quite quite similar to him. More or less. I, I think some of the folks like Chris Christie are actually more moderate in their views and, and what they would do. I do think that has been a big part, uh, certainly before he entered the race, was a big part of Ron DeSantis's pitch, was that you know everything that Trump tried to do and couldn't I will do. Uh, I did in Florida. And I will basically bring Trump's approach, but with greater effectiveness, greater ability to win a general election, and then greater ability to implement my agenda by pushing it through Congress and the executive branch of government and, and making that a reality in ways that Donald Trump struggled to do for some of his uh, sort of biggest aspirations, because perhaps Republicans in Congress balked when they had control of both chambers. And certainly once 2018 came halfway through Trump's presidency and Democrats gained control of the House of Representatives, that essentially put the brakes on all of Donald Trump's biggest agenda items because he couldn't get them through Congress. Ron DeSantis says, we're going to win up and down the ballot, and then I'm going to be able to implement the agenda that you you all want that Donald Trump can't do because he is not enough of a consensus builder. He's not popular enough among the broader electorate to maybe he's popular enough to win, but to bring in congressional majorities that can work with him. Beyond the sort of bluster, is there anyone involved in the race? And, you know, not necessarily saying they actually have a, a realistic chance, but is there anyone who feels like a a drastic change for the for the GOP as opposed to it just being a sort of return to how things were and being slightly more moderate or going, I'll be like Trump, but better than Trump minus Trump's baggage. Is there anyone who's a kind of, you know, a third option there who feels radically different and fresh? I'm not sure. I I think, you know, that would be a more likely scenario if Donald Trump did not decide to run in this race. You know, he's the first former president to run again in more than 100 years in this country. Typically, presidents who've lost after one term, people like George H.W. Bush losing in 1992, Jimmy Carter losing in 1980, have sailed off into the sunset in American life. 
and done something different in their post-presidency years. They were eligible to run again and decided not to, decided to let other figures in their political parties, you know, carry the banner moving forward. Donald Trump has obviously not done that. Uh, And that has really put, I think, the brakes on any kind of further, you know, like big drastic evolution in the Republican Party and instead resuscitated this debate that we had in 2016 uh, in that race over whether the party should move in Trump's direction or go back to, you know, the Republican Party that people remember of figures like George W. Bush, Ronald Reagan, even uh, the two nominees who lost, who preceded Donald Trump in the GOP, the two nominees who lost to Barack Obama in those two elections, people like John McCain and Mitt Romney. That's the debate we've essentially resuscitated based on Trump, you know, by by vein of Trump's uh, candidacy in this race. On a granular level, what are going to be the, the salient issues that they need to talk about practically other than just taking swipes at each other? You know, one of the things that that characterizes a lot of the primary debates uh, here in this country is that the candidates typically agree on 95% of the issues within (laughs) uh, these political parties, and it ends up being more of a debate over personality and effectiveness, especially when one of those personalities is Donald Trump, you know, who faces uh, multiple threats of imprisonment and has been lost the most recent election and has been blamed by other Republicans for losing uh, races down the ballot. However, I do think there are some big distinctions on some of the hot button issues in this country, especially uh, that involve what we what we've called the culture wars, issues like abortion access, where Republicans want to do more to restrict it, but disagree on how far to go. Uh, Mike Pence, for example, wants to enact the most severe restrictions, but other candidates uh, from the more moderate lane of the party think those restrictions should be more limited. Uh, I do think there's also going to be a big debate over foreign policy, whether uh, the U.S. support for Ukraine will um, does divide this field uh, essentially in half between the more traditional Republicans uh, and folks uh, more in the, in the Trump vein, who are just more isolationist and would prefer to maybe wind down some of America's financial commitment to Ukraine, would not be as upset to see Russia necessarily prevail in that conflict. Those are going to be some of those sort of big policy divides I think I think we're going to see play out. But I also think we're going to spend a lot of time, if, if your listeners watch that debate on August 23rd, talking about personality and some of the things that that may not be weighty policy issues. I'm very lucky to be in the position to find this all interesting, but not have to look at it every day or live in America. How do you feel in the lead up to this? Are you exhausted already? Yes. Uh, I mean, look, covering politics in, in America is it's it's cyclical in a way that is predictable, which is, is not necessarily the case in Britain, where elections don't necessarily happen on a regular calendar and can be scheduled either sooner than expected or obviously up until sort of the expiration date. Here in the U.S., we know exactly when the elections are, are going to happen. Uh, and as someone who covers has covered them for a living for a long time, I'm able to parse out my personal life and family life <laughs> in a way that works around the election calendar. So and in this this country, in even numbered years, it is very busy. And in odd number of years, it is 
uh, a lot less busy. I'm trying to enjoy the odd the odd year right now uh, <laughs> as long as I can and really gear up. You know that that debate on August 23rd will be sort of even though candidates are already running and, and the campaign is already underway in a lot of ways. That'll be really the kickoff for this. And then voting starts in January. And that is a long sprint of primary elections. Then the summer general election campaign begins. And then we have our general election in early November uh, 2024. And that is sort of that is the finish line for me. And I'm, I'm ready for uh, what is essentially a year and a half long sprint. Steve, get as much rest as you possibly can. And I hope to speak to you again in the future. Thank you so much for joining me in the bunker. I will. Thanks for having me. Listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can back us on Patreon so we can keep making them. There's a link in the show notes or just search Bunker Patreon Podcast. This is Jacob Jarvis. Thank you for joining me for The Bunker USA. The Bunker USA was written and presented by Podmasters Managing Editor, Jacob Jarvis. The audio producer was me, Jade Bailey, and the assistant producer was Adam Wright. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by James Parrott, The Bunker USA is a Podmasters production. Podmasters.